A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment because science was on my side. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This week's story is from Bethany Brookshire. The story was recorded in December 2014 at Littlefield in Brooklyn. So, some people are unpopular in high school. Some people are unpopular in middle school. There are even some people who are unpopular in elementary school or college. I was not one of those people. I was unpopular in grad school. I am still not sure how this happened. All that I know is somehow I managed to make a terrible impression during my grad school interview on the grad students who were already there. By the time I arrived to begin my graduate career in pharmacology, the older grad students had branded me as a completely irreparable weirdo. And the first few months in grad school were really hard. I, the classes I could handle, um, and I made some friends outside my program, but the other grad students inside my program just did not like me, and I couldn't figure out why. And then I got to know Carrie. Carrie was a third-year grad student in the lab that I eventually ended up joining for my PhD, studying stimulants like cocaine, amphetamine, methamphetamine, stuff like that, the good drugs. And Carrie was already a grad student in the lab. And Carrie was perfect. She was my kind of perfect. She always knew the, the new papers before anybody else. She always knew what was going to be the new hot technique. She got great grades. All of her grants got funded. She got all the travel awards. She was the kind of grad student that every advisor trots out to their pride for their ability to impress the old white guys by quoting Sora et al. 1996 from memory. She even performed amazing scientific experiments looking at the dopamine system um, and methamphetamine in mice, even though she was so allergic to rodents that she had to go into the colony gowned up to her eyebrows like a surgeon. And outside the lab, she was just as amazing. She was popular. Everybody wanted her opinion. Um, she was a hard-drinking, hard-driving, kickball-playing, Irish step-dancing powerhouse of a woman. <laughs> she had a cool boyfriend. All the bars she went to were the good bars. All the parties she went to were the ones that everybody talked about for days. She didn't even, like, dress for anybody. She always wore, in the lab, ratty jeans and a black T-shirt. There may have been other t-shirts, and there might even have been hoodies in the winter, but I just remember the black t-shirt. Because Carrie didn't care what you thought. She had science to do. I worshipped her instantly. She was my hero, my perfect idea of what a scientist should be like, brilliant and focused in the lab, and fun-loving outside of it. I wanted to be her. So a few weeks after I started in the lab, I stayed late as you do to finish an experiment, and Carrie was there. Of course she was. 
Because if you're going to be the best grad student, you work the longest hours. Working long hours in the lab is an unspoken badge of honor. And we got to talking. And it turned out we had stuff in common. Like little things. Like hobbies and stuff. And she said I wasn't so bad. To me. <laughs> me. <laughs> and then later, she got me a beer. And she, she toasted my first late night in the lab. It was a yingling. And it was the first beer I ever actually liked because it tasted like acceptance. <laughs> yingling tastes like acceptance. And from then on, I actually had an easier time making friends in the program. And it could be that I was adjusting and just getting used to people's expectations, but I always thought it was Carrie. So I joined the lab. And the years went by, and Carrie graduated. She got an award for best dissertation. Of course she did. <laughs> she moved on to a postdoc in an up-and-coming lab, and her postdoc advisor would write back to my advisor telling awesome tales about this grant that she got funded and this cool new technique that she was picking up and how she was publishing in these really good journals. And she got engaged to her cool grad school boyfriend, and everything was perfect. And I had a vision in my head. I knew what her future was going to be like. She was going to be this amazing scientist in a major research university with millions of dollars in grants. And every young female scientist would look up to her and want her to be their mentor. September 28th, 2009. It was a Monday. It was a relatively normal Monday in the lab, and my advisor came in, and she had this really funny look on her face. And she told us that Carrie was dead. It turns out that not only was Carrie hard drinking, she did hard drugs, too. And the night before, Sunday night, she had been injecting buprenorphine with her fiancé. Uh, buprenorphine is an opiate, uh, most people think of opiates like morphine or heroin. Um, and those opiates activate opiate receptors in your brain. And in some areas of the brain, they make you feel really, really good. And in some areas of the brain, they help to control your breathing. So people who die of drug overdoses from morphine or heroin often die because they stop breathing. Buprenorphine's a little bit different. It's actually used to help people get off heroin or get off morphine, and it's used to treat chronic pain. Um, it's because it's a partial agonist. It only partially activates those opiate receptors. So in theory, you can't overdose on buprenorphine. Carrie was a pharmacologist. She was a smart pharmacologist. Buprenorphine was the drug that she chose. And her fiancé even had Narcan, the antagonist, on hand just in case something went wrong. Smart pharmacologists, they knew what they were doing. And at first we thought maybe somehow she had overdosed anyway. I mean, in theory you can't, but somehow. But no, Carrie did not overdose. What happened was stranger. You see, Carrie was injecting buprenorphine they got from a pharmacy in the Philippines. And you never really know what's in that stuff. And maybe it was a little bit of mouse fur. Maybe it was a few rat cells. No one really knows. All that they know is that Carrie injected the drug. The drug went in, and Carrie's horrible allergic reaction to rodents came out. She stopped breathing. Not from overdose, but from anaphylactic shock.
she was dead within minutes. And it's times like these that I like to tell myself stories that I, I make up about myself, little daydreams of how I'll behave when things go wrong. I tell myself, I'm going to hilariously rescue my friend from that bad date. I'm going to rescue that small child from that speeding moped. And when I face death, I will be noble. I will be strong. I will be pale. And I will not cry. But we are never the people we want to be. And I was a mess of tears within seconds. I don't remember much else about that day. I remember we all avoided the phone because, of course, a pharmacologist potentially overdosing on an opiate, that's big news. And all the journalists were trying to call us. And I remember crying in the arms of my lab mates. And I remember trying to work because I thought that was what Carrie would have wanted. But after I broke down in tears for the fifth or sixth time, I remember one of my lab mates gently taking a mouse from my hands. They sent me home. And when I was away from the lab, away from where she had worked, I, I just couldn't cry anymore. I lost my hero that day. But I also learned something very, very important. I learned that I did not know Carrie at all. I didn't know her. I don't judge her for doing drugs. I mean, we're pharmacologists. We know there are plenty of very good reasons to do drugs, and there are plenty of very good reasons to stay away. It's not my business what she was doing. But I realized I didn't know her. I didn't know what made her happy. I didn't know what made her sad. I didn't know her ambitions. I just saw her, and I admired her, and I made up stories about what she was like, the story of the scientist that I thought she was. They weren't stories about her. They were stories about me and who I wanted to be. And I realized that all heroes are like that. You see them from a distance, and you admire them, and you make up stories of their great and mighty deeds and what they're like, but they're not stories about those people. They're stories about you and what you want and what you desire and what your ambitions are. I still think sometimes that I see Carrie. I'll be at a big conference, and I think I'll turn a corner and I'll see her laughing with her friends in her black T-shirt or giving a presentation full of amazing, new, groundbreaking data. It would be perfect because it would be Carrie. But then I remember that Carrie is gone. And that perfect scientist never existed in the first place. Thank you. That was Bethany Brookshire. Bethany has a BS in biology and a BA in philosophy from the College of William and Mary and a PhD in physiology and pharmacology from Wake Forest University School of Medicine. She is the guest editor of the Open Laboratory Anthology for Science Blogging 2009 and the winner of the Society for Neuroscience Next Generation Award and the Three Quarks Daily Science Writing Award, among others. She is currently the science education writer for Science News for Students. She blogs at Eureka Lab and at SciCurious. You can follow her on Twitter as at SciCurious. For more science stories, take a look at storycollider.org, where we have archives of the podcast and upcoming events. Also, we depend on listeners like you for our support. If you love the podcast, please consider donating at storycollider.org slash donate. 
The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Wechter, and Barker, and Ari Daniel. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, and Justin D'Ambrosio. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Littlefield for hosting the show, and to 2015 for finally getting here. Thanks for listening. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com.